Hey everyone, and welcome back to Patronage. I'm Amber Atherton, partner at Patron, and today I am joined by Chris Bass, the co-founder and CEO of Substack, a subscription-based newsletter publishing platform. The founding team have raised $90 million from firms like Andreessen Horowitz and Quiet Capital, and now employ just under 100 people. Also on the show, we have Adam Carrigan, the co-founder of MindsDB, an open source infrastructure company that allows developers to connect any AI or ML model to any data source. Co-founders Adam and Jorge have raised $55 million from venture capital firms, including Benchmark and Mayfield. Very excited to have them both on the show today, and we're going to be talking about YC, the demo day experience, what it's like raising your seed round and beyond your seed round, how you should think about raising a series A and more. Enjoy. During those three months of YC, you have that person looking over your shoulder, right? If you go into your you know, group partner meeting and you haven't done what you said you were going to do, you don't get yelled at, but they're disappointed. And so you don't have that anymore. You don't have that weekly kind of teacher kind of telling you, have you done your homework? And so you have to do it yourself. It's good because it kind of teaches you discipline for three months. And there's that muscle memory of, hey, okay, we're going to set this goal for this week. We're going to achieve it. Have we achieved it? If yes, well, let's have a more ambitious goal next week. If not, why not? And readjust. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Patronage, a new limited edition show from the team behind Patron, an early stage venture fund investing in a broader gaming thesis. Join me, Amber Atherton, and my partners, Brian Cho and Jason Yeh, as we host roundtable discussions with leading CEOs, founders, and industry experts to debate the challenges and ideas that will shape the future of the internet. This show is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Amber. Welcome back to Patronage. Today, I'm joined by Chris Best, the co-founder and CEO of Substack, and Adam Carrigan, the co-founder of MindsDB. So welcome both. Excited to have you here and go down memory lane and talk about what it was like raising your seed round and your Y Combinator experience. So Chris, maybe we can start with you. You and I were in Winter 18 together. Fun times. We were. So do you want to talk about, let's like, how was the interview application process? Maybe we start there, like set the scene. Where were you? So I was still in Kitchener, Ontario when I applied to YC and I'd done a company previously uh, that hadn't gone through YC, but I was sort of in the, in the, the hinterlands. We were up in Canada. We did this messaging app called kick. It was a wild ride. And I was sort of think, debating if I even wanted to do a company or what, where I was going to do with my life. Like I was in this kind of a mode, got into the Substack thing and it sort of started to pull me in with its gravity. And we applied to YC. I remember on the application, it was like, how much money are you making? We were like $0. <laughs> and then uh, we launched our first customer in the week or whatever it was between the application and the interview. And we got into the interview and they were like, it says here you make $0. We were like, actually... We make a hundred thousand dollars, and they're like, "Oh, that's good progress. This is fast." Um, it was quite a quite a wild ride. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I I remember I was sort of encouraged by another founder to apply in London, who founded the Leo Siegel, who founded the Expert. He was like, "Oh, it's fine. Just apply." We'd raised a bit of seed money. I was very casually just on my phone, like, "Hey, I'm Amber, the founder of Zyper, and that was my video." Adam, what about for you? How was your, what was the, the interview process? Did you prep? Were you, you know, in front of a whiteboard or? Yeah, so we, we actually applied twice. Uh, so we applied when we first had just an idea. Got an interview, um, didn't get in. Uh, went on and raised some funds elsewhere. Uh, started to build a product, get customers. Uh, and we kind of, you know, okay, well, that the YC had, had passed. Um, and we ended up, uh, you're bumping into Michael Siebel, who at the time was running YC um, after Sam Altman. And uh, we were at a dinner with him, thanks to an investor that would, would recently uh, uh, had invested. And uh, he just asked what we were doing. And we, we kind of pitched to him informally over dinner. He was like, look, really cool idea. You know, we're open source. He loved the open source angle. He said, you should apply to YC. Um, and at that point, we kind of thought, well, isn't really YC, you know, for very early stage companies, it's, it's really, you know, an idea stage, did a bit of digging, spoke to some, a few founders that we knew. And, you know, as we all are aware now, YC is only anywhere from idea stage up to some companies that have raised millions of dollars. 
Um, and so we applied uh, very last minute. I think two days later, we had an interview. Uh, so I had to fly out. Uh, and at that point, it was in person. Uh, we had to do two interviews. I'm not sure the rationale behind that. One in the morning and one in the afternoon, just before the last interview. Very stressful, seven hours in between. Um, and then another several hours of stress waiting for the phone call. Uh, and finally got it from Jared and... and uh, he said you were in, uh, and it was very exciting after maybe 12, 18 hours of stress and pulling my hair out, <laughs> aged about 10 years in that one day. <laughs> I mean, it is immense anticipation when you're sort of sitting around post-interview, like, God, was that good? I don't know. Like, Chris, do you remember, did you guys just hang out in Mountain View post your interview? Yeah, we did, because we were just, we were sort of at a loose end. And it was, because the interviews are so quick, right? They're, they've got it really down to an art science and i have this thing where i sometimes like you ever do public speaking and you kind of like black out like you get down from the stage and you're like what just happened like where am i we had a little bit of that i was kind of like i think that went well but it's really hard to know um yeah we got the call later it was very exciting oh uh, yeah awesome so that is the common story actually adam like most people apply to yc at least twice before they get in so good to hear that you you know second second time lucky so post yc chris you guys move you're, you're in the hinterlands as you say and then you guys move to sf the team yeah well i mean the team at the time was just me and hamish and jay um, and for me, it was actually a pretty, one of the great things YC did for me is it gave me an artificial kind of like forcing function to upend my life for the company, um, which was a thing that I wanted to do. But those things are really hard to build up the momentum to do unless you have something that's kind of like that, that is a precipitating event. And so I moved down for uh, the batch, you know, came, came and rented a house and worked out of my living room and did the whole thing. And through that process, realized that if I wanted to do the biggest version of this thing, I should be here. Mm, yeah, I think everybody eventually reaches that realization that being all together in one room, knit close to batch partners is key. But I guess, Adam, yours was kind of upended from COVID. So you guys, you and Jorge moved down. Well, no, you were already in Berkeley, weren't you? Yeah, so we were living in Berkeley and then uh, I moved back to the UK. Um, and because my partner's from here. And so I was only ever out there temporarily. Um, and then when YC happened, it was like, okay, again, the kind of the, 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 the forcing function that, that okay, I need to make a decision on what to do. Um, and so I moved back out there, planning to spend significantly more time there. And then with, with COVID, everyone went remote. We, we didn't know how long we were going to be locked down. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be locked down, I'll be locked down in a country that has uh, free healthcare, um, and so I decided to come back to the UK with my partner, and 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 uh, at that point we were forced to play remotely. Uh, you know, even if we wanted to, you know, have a team all in one place, it just we just couldn't do it. We couldn't even meet. You know, half the team we didn't meet until years later because we just you know uh, couldn't interview them in person. It was all via Zoom, and, and it's only been recently. Uh, you know, we get together every year now as a as a, a kind of a, an offsite. Um, and the couple of days or week that we're, we're there together is just so uh, productive that you think, okay, well, how, how productive must this be if you're in person every day? Um, and so in the recent, you know, last month or two, we've now got an office, so, you know, we've now got a team uh, in the Bay and we'll slowly move to a, an in-person uh, in uh, company. But yeah, we were kind of forced by, by, uh, by the pandemic to, to do it remotely. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I remember there was one company in winter 18 that was, no, we're going to be fully remote and we're just going to meet every quarter. And it was so shocking to hear that at the time. And now that's just the status quo. So, Chris, you guys are living, you, Hamish and Jay, all living together, working. You've got your first customer. And uh, do you remember who your batch partners was and the kind of like what the first month was like as you were describing like what Substack was and... Our batch partners were Jared and Adora. And what happened in that first month? The thing I remember the most about Jared was we got there and he's like, so have you launched it yet? Like, is it, can people, you know, sign up for this thing? Because the very early Substack, we didn't have an onboarding process. Like every writer that joined, I had to like, we had to type manually into the database to get them to have an account. <laughs> And very quickly, Jared was like, 
so did you launch yet? And we'd be like, no, let me give you this long explanation for why that's blah, blah, blah. And he would kind of like squint his eyes at us impatiently and be like, you need to launch. Like, what, what is wrong with you idiots? And he was right. And we did. And it was a good idea. I, I think that's one of the best sort of outcomes of the initial impression of YC is like, wow, we need to move faster. We need to get this into people's hands. We need to get customer feedback quicker and to not just wait fearfully on the side. So you, so you, so you launch, you are going to down to campus. You've got the kind of the office hours with, with Jared, and then you're, you're starting to like iterate on what the description of Substack is, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we we actually we're kind of weird in that we came to YC with a really fully formed idea of the big version of what we wanted to do and sort of the initial thing we were building. We weren't, I think a lot of people, and it's a good place to be in if you're sort of like, I'm still figuring out what this thing is. There's people that change that, what they're working on in YC and then go on to be massively successful companies. But we came with a really coherent picture of what we wanted. And the hard part was just kind of doing it and and having the sort of like artificial forcing function, the expectations getting kind of like just steeped in the culture and surrounded by other people who are doing ambitious things quickly and who have high expectations for themselves is a really underrated force and all that stuff. I actually think the biggest thing that we got from YC and the Bay in general was sort of just that cultural acclimatizing thing that, that you become a fish in different water and it changes just how you see everything. I could not agree more. I mean, I guess we're all kind of like outsiders to the Bay. That sort of ecosystem, like the forcing function of exceptionally ambitious people all around you all together is an amazing motivator. Adam, I, how did you find that, I guess, coming from, from the UK? Yeah, I mean, you know, having lived in London, you know, there are truly some amazing people in London, but, you know, you go to events and barbecues and parties and you meet interesting people, but they're lawyers and they're investment bankers. And, and in the Bay, oh, every lawyers. event you go to, <laughs> oh, lawyers. Uh, everyone in lawyers in the Bay. that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> party. um and so you get to the bay and you you go to you know a friend's barbecue and there's people working on you know crazy stuff you know uh, trying to uh you know, have a plane that goes you know faster than the speed of sound and you know the, the new concord people you know trying to launch satellites into space people just doing crazy ambitious stuff and and you meet them anywhere else in the world you would kind of like, oh, you know Good luck. Good luck with that. But in the Bay, you know, it's very likely that they, that they have achieved those things and will achieve those things in in their in their time frame. So, yeah, it's just an unbelievable place where you run into, you know, I think a lot of success for founders is you know you do create your own luck, um, and you know, being in the Bay, you get luckier than if you're not. Right? You bump into people who could be a perfect head of product, um, and they're looking for something new, and all those sorts of things only happen serendipitously um, and really can only happen in the Bay, right? A lot of people have said, you know, the Bay is on the decline, but with the kind of latest AI kind of uh, renaissance that's happening, uh, you know, the Bay is, 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 you know, back in my opinion. I, I think the, uh, yeah, the Bay is like a luck accelerator. One of my favorite Mark and Jason essays about uh, luck and the entrepreneur recommend. Yeah. So was, was MindsDB fully formed when you guys were there month one? Like, is it similar to Substack or you were still iterating on it? I mean, I think we were, we're always iterating. Um, but I think the, the, the idea of kind of democratizing machine learning, <clears throat> making it more accessible, uh, was always the core of what we wanted to do. And we always wanted to start with the developer. And so, um, you know, we were kind of in the group, the, the YC batch. Again, Jared was, was our partner, group partner with Eric, and we were kind of in the dev tool group. Um, and so it, it certainly changed over time, but we were always, you know, committed to open source. We were always committed to democratizing machine learning. The way in which we did it certainly has changed over time. And, and certainly recently with kind of the uh, upheaval of the, the industry with generative AI and open AI, et cetera. Uh, but the idea and the kind of thought, the, the foundations of what we wanted to do was, was already there when we applied to YC and certainly was there when we got in that, that second time. 
Got it. Yeah. I think one thing that founders don't maybe appreciate is that a lot of YC is actually just giving you the discipline to describe what you are actually doing. And so many of those group office hour sessions are just explaining what you do so people can, yeah, articulate that to to others. Chris, I guess I, I'm curious for you, how did you think about the the demo day milestone? What was that kind of key metric for you guys? We focused a lot on subscription growth. I mean, we sort of wanted to be judged on how much money are we making for writers. And we hustled a lot to like have growth <laughs> before demo day. We had a thing where we didn't have a group subscription feature, but one of our top customers could sit, like had a very effective demand for group subscriptions. He had a lot of like high-end companies that wanted to subscribe to this, this Substack. And so we like sat there and hustled and like manually sold these things and entered them into the database and kind of, you know, did that, the classic things that don't scale uh, to do the thing. And then I remember we practiced our demo day pitch so many millions of times that Jay and Hamish make fun of me to this day for little quirks of things that I like said or didn't say or it's like ingrained in all of our, in all of our memories. <laughs> wait, wait, was this just like in where you guys were working, you were practicing in front of each other all night. Yeah, or like I, we'd be driving in the car to the thing and I'd do, just do the thing over and over. Um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. No, we I also mean- didn't, we, we realized the night before, the night before that we were, or not the night before, but like a day or two before that we were supposed to have t-shirts with a company name on it that we never got our act together to do. So we ordered last minute rush t-shirts that were like the crappiest ones I've ever seen. A completely not Substack logo brand thing. I still have those. They're hilarious. Oh, you got to keep that early merch for sure. <laughs> Amazing. So, all right. So you, your focus, Demo Day Milestone, hustling, hustling, let's get subscription revenue to an awesome place show that hockey stick growth. Adam, what about for you guys? Like it's, it's such a key part of that early phase of life as a company is what is, what's the milestone that's going to be part of the sort of the seed round story. Yeah. And, and we were at a milestone, like a bit of a T junction in terms of, you know, we'd started to gain momentum in the open source. Um, and the question we were asking ourselves was, okay, when do we monetize, right? Do we start to monetize now? Um, or do we continue to focus on open source? And we're speaking to our investors and a lot of other people. And when we spoke to Michael and the, the team at YC, they really pushed us to focus on open source, right? To dominate the open source space. Um, and then monetization will come later, right? Um, that's the way you're going to be a billion dollar business uh, or a multi-billion dollar business. If you want to start something now, that's actually a, a, you know, a, a valid path to go down. But it's unlikely then, if you haven't dominated the open source space, that you will then become this, this enormous business. And so they kind of got, um, help make the decision for us. Um, and so when we got in, our milestone was all about open source metrics, right? So it's all about um, developers using the product, developers using it daily, weekly, um, to a lesser extent, things like GitHub stars, um, and ensuring that that community is still growing and that our Slack memberships are growing, the number of people asking questions about our product was going inside of our, um, uh, in, inside of our Slack channel. Uh, and so unlike most YC companies, which you know, revenue is kind of the goal that, that YC push for you. Uh, for DevTools, it's a little bit different. And, and for us, it was it was all the open source metrics that come from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's uh, one of the trickiest decisions to make is what do you prioritize growth or revenue at this stage of the, the journey and what's going to help you tell the best story to investors? So, okay, so we've done month one. We're focused on milestones. Month two... You're getting a lot of inbound from investors, sort of curious to meet you. Um, both of you started companies before. So Chris, let's talk about the the kind of meeting investors early on. So your heads down, how did you think about kind of managing the inbound early on? What did I do? So I'd, I'd, I'd done a company before, but I was the technical co-founder over there. I was not the CEO. So this was my first rodeo kind of being doing any of the fundraising, any of the, the sort of top line storytelling, all of that stuff was new to me. And I was new to kind of like the Bay Area ecosystem. Our investors were different, you know, East Coast investors at, at the last place. Um, and so I kind of just took this philosophy of like, I'm going to put my fate in the hands of my YC partners. 
They do this a million gajillion times. They do all the things. They like, you know, they 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 don't lie to you, but they'll like they'll tell you what you need to hear at different times to do the thing. And I was like, okay, I accept all that. Our interests are aligned enough. I'm gonna just kind of do whatever they tell me and <laughs> follow <laughs> along that track, which I'd say we mostly did. I'm 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 a obnoxious enough personality type that just doing what people tell me is is hard for me to do, even when I set out to do it. But we kind of listened to them. So I took, you know, we, we waited through most of the batch. I didn't think about fundraising. I didn't think about meeting investors. I didn't think about doing all that stuff. Uh, a few weeks before I started sort of like saying yes to coffees and meeting various people and kind of doing the, the you know. A few weeks before demo leave. day. Yes, yeah. I, I forget exactly, but some, exactly. somewhere in that thing. I did, for most of the batch, I took the partner's advice and just didn't even think about it. I, was, I focused on not even on what investors are going to want to see. I focused on what's going to make this thing actually work. Because ultimately, the thing that's going to give me, the thing that's going to arm me with a good story to tell is going to be a business that's exciting, a thing that's actually happening. And I poured all of my, my energy into that through most of the time. And then uh, pokes, we sort of poked our heads up a few weeks before demo day. We, we did the thing where you sort of begin fundraising and do your first couple things before. We had a really, we had sort of like a, a middling fundraise, seed fundraise for a, for a YC company. I think we were kind of like middle of the pack, cool company. We had these spurts of momentum where I was like, we were really hot. And then we were, I was like, oh my God, are we going to finish the round? And then we were super hot and oversubscribed again. We had this weird kind of like feast or famine as I sort of like inexpertly <laughs> ran the process of, of raising a round of funding. Um, but you know what? None of that stuff matters at the end of the day. I mean, it matters that you get, you get enough money to do what you need to do. But ultimately, the thing that matters is, are you building something that matters? And can you tell that story? Can you get people to believe in it? Oh, great advice. Yes. And I think we can all relate to that chaos of, okay, feast, famine, we're hot, we're not, oh God. And there's this sort of like group competition environment as well. Adam, how, how did it feel for you? Because obviously, you were coming up to Demo Day remotely and meeting investors from the UK, I guess. So like, how how did you think about taking those first investor meetings? Yeah, so as most people are aware, at least during our batch, uh, the advice was don't talk to investors until after demo day. I think the advice has changed more recently for recent batches, but uh, that was the advice when, when we were doing it. Um, and we, it was a little bit difficult for us. For they us told because... us that the whole time. And then two weeks before they were like, just kidding, now you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go. And, and, and I understand why, right? It, it, is, it is best for the whole cohort to, to wait for demo day, right? Because then there is this kind of, um, you know, firmer uh, that is created with demo day. Um, but it was a little bit difficult for us because we already had um, raised some money. We already had a number of investors that we'd spoken to and either had invested or passed. And one of the things, one of the benefits of, of YC is, you know, rightly or wrongly, a lot of investors use it as a filtering process. Um, and, you know, when people find out you're in YC, even the investors that have passed the last round suddenly are interested again because, you know, things have changed, but the, the YC brand uh, adds a lot of value. And so we had a lot of people we already had existing relationships with reaching out to us, asking us for coffee, et cetera. Um, and we ended up uh, probably about halfway through the batch a little bit before starting to talk to investors. Um, and actually, you know, we probably shouldn't have done it, but we are glad we did because ultimately once COVID hit, uh, a lot of money dried up. I, I think if you look at the stats for winter 20, there's a lot of companies that just didn't raise after demo day, um, and which is, you know, unusually high percentage for, uh, for Y Combinator. And so thankfully we had started to build those relationships so that when uh, kind of demo day um, came up for us, it, it wasn't, we didn't do it in person, it was just a slide. Um, we already had those existing relationships and we're able to leverage them to, 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 to do our seed round. But yeah, there's a lot of companies out of that batch that, that really struggled. So, um, you know, you, you not said, taking um, advice in this instance worked. <laughs> yeah. So you said that it was just a slide. You guys had one slide. Wow. Yeah, so you always have one slide, right? Yeah, I think for demo day, it's always just one slide. But normally you're in person in front of a thousand investors and a couple of weeks out, they said, actually, there's, there's going to be no in-person demo day. What we're going to do is we're going to bring you all down one by one to the office um, and film your pitch with your one slide. And then we're going to put it online uh, and that's going to be the demo day. Like, okay, well, that, you know, it's not the perfect substitution, but it'll do. And I think the complexities of, you know, middle of beginning of COVID bringing people down, uh, you know, 
I think it was 500 companies or whatever it is in, in that or 300 companies that were in that batch, um, bringing them all down. And then also the logistics of all the, you know, uh, getting these, these, um, these videos online. Uh, two days before demo day, they said, actually, we're, we're not doing the recordings at all. You just get one slide on our website. Um, and so, you know, big letdown, right? Because you've gone from, you know, demo day is this thing that you're kind of working towards and it's the combination of all the hard work of the last three months and it ends up kind of being nothing. We actually ended wow. up not doing demo day. We actually ended up not having the slide because we had some investors that were already already interested and we thought well maybe we're best to to leave it and then because if you don't do demo day at least this was the case um back then if you don't do demo during your batch you have an option to do it a later batch and so we're like okay well we'll save this up for when you know uh we we you know things get back to normal and we can we can do a this thing should be over in a few months right yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking it would this be over in a few month. months right yeah, wow. yeah, kind of and then next batch, winter, uh, summer twenty, or whatever, we'll just pitch with them, and we'll raise a little bit now, and then, and obviously, you know, hindsight, two, two and a half years later, we still haven't done demo day. So maybe we'll just go. We'll, well, maybe once we IPO, we'll we'll go back and do demo day just for the uh, just for the you know kicks and giggles. And... <laughs> wow, wild! You were really doing it on hard mode. That that's yeah crazy yeah. we we um wait chris so were you did you fundraise pre-demo day what was your journey we had like a just a, a very couple like friends and family like tiny bits of money i put a little bit of money in at the very beginning just to like rent servers and stuff and then we sort of started we raised a couple of safe notes sort of like in the couple weeks before demo day just so we had some momentum going into the thing. It gives you, it gives you kind of like this, if you're, if you're doing the thing where you're like running a fundraising process and you're doing the kind of like party round, get a bunch of like fun, you know, YC angel investor, people who are the most amazing early investors to have at this stage, uh, you can kind of like just run the game and you're like, well, if you want to get in before demo day, like now's your chance. And then after that, you're like, well, it's after demo day, there's so many people like you sort yeah. of have to like create this, create this momentum for yourself. And we did that passably in retrospect we fun we, we muddled through oh good so so you muddle through you're like yeah we've raised 200k on the safe it's alumni day alumni day was a pretty wild experience for me because it's it, everything was in person at the computer science museum and it was all kind of handshake deals so people just come up totally. to you and say hi 30k 50k and it was this wild experience what what was that like for you had you guys already um been out and pitched VCs at that point, or you were kind of, you were doing some alumni investment too? I'd done some casual sort of coffee conversations. We, you know, raised a bit, you know, had some, had some commitments done. I'm somebody who, like, I'm an introvert and my being at like a cocktail party where a bunch of people are kind of like milling around standing in circles is like the worst possible case scenario for me. And so the actual like alumni mingling events, like they're really good. I'm sure for me, that's like my nightmare. Nobody was coming up to me and saying 30K. I was kind of like, <laughs> how do I talk to people? Oh God. Um, but it all worked out. And the little like sort of like scripted meeting setup they had at the time for us was was good and fun and <laughs> said some fun stories from that. Oh, wait, wait, what was the scripted meeting setup? Well, not, not scripted, but the like after demo day proper, there was sort of like, people could book meetings. So you had like, we, I remember the three of us sitting at a table and there was kind of like a speed dating, like meet a bunch of investors process that we went through. Um, that was kind of, kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. That's efficient. Actually you do demo day and then you end up like finding your lead investor for the seed. Like how, how did it all pan out? Like when you kind of closed the round? Um, what did we do? It's it's all kind of a blur in retrospect. So we had a bunch we had a bunch of people. We didn't really have like a a, a formal lead investor. Like we took the YC advice to kind of just like look make it a party round, get a bunch of different good people in, um, and we went to demo day having raised a chunk of what we wanted to raise. And then I think there was like a week where I was like, it was sort of slow, and I was like, oh god, I'm we're gonna fail and nothing's gonna happen. And then we kind of like got unstuck and then quickly had this bunch of interest from a bunch of folks where I ended up having people sort of fighting to put money in. But it was very like, it was very sort of like lumpy and weird. And we ended up with 
what I, in retrospect, I'm really happy with, which is we had just a, a broad set of early stage investors in that first round. We weren't super concentrated. We didn't have somebody that was sort of like, you know, the, like the main investor, um, but we had a bunch of great folks and including a few folks that put in like a substantial amount. Awesome. What, what, what ended up being like that, the total figure of that party round before you went on to it? was like 2.2. Okay, nice. Cool. And what about for you, Adam? So like you, you, you know, you, you'd already had these conversations, you'd wrapped it up pretty quickly. Yeah. So we hadn't, we hadn't yet closed before demo day, but we had enough interest uh, that we thought we could do it without doing that demo day. And so I think we raised uh, just over a million, I think was that was the number. Um, And we had a a lead investor, Open Ocean, who uh, the the partners there are the guys who created MySQL and MariaDB. So really big on the open source, really big on the database, two big components of what MindsDB is all about. Um, And so their expertise were, 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 you know, um, amazing. Again, not a US investor. Um, this was r- reliant on, you know, existing relationships that we'd already had, because again, you know, no one was investing in the Bay it was, you know, all our meetings were canceled or moved to Zoom. Uh, we kind of had to really rely on the work that we'd done before YC. Um, we got a couple of YC angels. So Chris Golder, for example, uh, put in our first check, which yeah, kind of got the ball rolling. And, and he's been a fantastic investor ever since. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, it was a struggle. Very different to everyone else's experience, I think. Yeah. Wow. I remember just kind of like trudging along, like going out, going to Sand Hill Road, going to the offices, like in, in person in San Francisco, and just saving. You know, one of my favorite investors for last, I suppose. I was like, I can't talk to them yet. Can't talk to them yet. Which is again another bit of YC advice. Like, don't you know? You got to get your reps in. I yeah, I was very excited to meet four on adventures, and I, I actually shared this story the other day on LinkedIn. But I it was one of the it was crazy morning. I I had the Driftwood Deli, which is this like iconic deli on El Camino Real. We would just get sandwiches there every day. And like when you're working all together all day, like going out to get lunch and a sandwich was like a real highlight over that three month <laughs> time. <laughs> anyway, so I remember going, I sort of was like, God, I'm going to be late to this meeting. I'm going to just eat the rest of this day old sandwich on my way to the forerunner office for this pitch. Anyway, delirious pitch meeting wasn't sure it went well at all but then they did eventually call me and give me a term sheet so it was you just you never know you know if sometimes it's the meetings that you think didn't go well that actually end up turning out pretty good um you know what Andrew, that yeah. that story you said of practicing the pitch and over and over reminded me of a weird experience that i i at least had i'd be curious if you guys had this where on the one hand, you don't want to tune your company for investors, right? You don't want to be building your company with in mind of like, what are investors going to be excited about this? You want to be building your company in mind with what's going to work because that's what's going to matter. But I did have this experience where having to pitch, having to go and explain from first principles what the company does, distill it into human language, like sell over and over again why this thing was exciting was actually a really powerful forcing function for clarifying my own thinking on the company. Right. It, it, it sort of forced me to package my thinking into a tight story in a way that I think maybe made us better over time because we were forced to like crispen up like, look, what how is this actually going to be a big deal? And then we could turn around and say, oh, oh we better do that now. Yeah, I oh totally. I think I get yeah, getting the that's why you so getting those reps in actually does lead to clarity of thought. Actually, Chris, I wanted to ask you this. You're an avid reader. Do you think. Being a sort of voracious reader makes you a better fundraiser. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Probably they're uncorrelated at best. That's a that's a great question. I have no idea. I think it probably does because it gives you a bigger kind of Lexus to pull from. Well, that's my sort of like romanticized view of it. The more you read, the better you pitch hot take maybe uncorrelated adam what about any kind of like fun tidbits for you and then i'd love to get into kind of like post demo day reality yeah i I think yeah i think one of the best pieces of advice that we got was you know when you're coming out of yc you want to talk to sequoia you want to talk to a16z you want to talk to benchmark um and you know you go in with excitement you're a yc company and and, then jared said to us look Sequoia maybe makes one 
sometimes zero, maybe two investments per batch. Uh, but Pioneer will make 20 or 30, maybe. He said, you want to play the odds. So, you know, go ahead, talk to Sequoia, but don't waste a proportional amount of time on Sequoia because just playing, you know, just looking at the statistics, the, the likelihood is you will not be that one company. Um, but, you know, you want, the, the, the aim is to survive. Aim is to get enough money to keep building your business and get better and better to a point where, you know, you, you eventually don't need VC money. Um, but to get there, the first thing you need to do is money. Um, and that was probably one of the best pieces of advice that we got because we were disproportionately spending more time on a pitch for, say, Sequoia than we were for uh, an unknown fund. And so, yeah, uh, that was that was the best piece of advice we got during that, that, that investment period. Good advice. I mean, Chris, you you ended up raising from Andreessen, right? We did. We did. We did. So, any 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 takes on that? Because because I guess yeah. To, to Adam's point, it is like you know a lot of people are you want to talk to Andreessen, you want to talk to Sequoia, you want to talk to Benchmark. So, how 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 did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the YC advice on this was basically right. I mean, the game you're playing at Demo Day is raise the money you need to, to get the thing done that you want to do. I think there is value to having like the fancy names, like there's, there's signaling value where it's sort of like you can, you know, whatever people, it has some, a certain like cachet that can be, can be valuable. And it can also like get to your own head in a way that doesn't help you, I think. Um, but we really focused on demo day on like, look, what do we need to do to, to, to make this thing go? And one of them, we just need a bit of money. We need a bit of this. We need a bit of that. We need some time. And then after demo day, we just put our heads down and we, we sort of knew what we wanted to do. We had a target in mind of sort of like a revenue goal we wanted to hit um, before we even thought about raising a series A. We're kind of like, hey, if we get here, this is where this is where we should sort of poke our heads up and start to get serious about this. Uh, and we ended up sort of getting getting in the conversation that led to our series A just while we were on route to that, <laughs> on route mm. to that goal. Interesting. Okay. So, and, and how does that come about? So it's, 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 it's through, you know, you've, you've already had these conversations with partners and they're kind of aware of like what milestones you're aiming to hit. And then there's a possibility that they kind of preempt. For us, it was really weird. I, this is probably not the thing that you do, but we had been trying to recruit Andrew Chan to be a writer on Substack because mm. he'd been at Uber, he had a very successful newsletter and we were like, you should, you should be a writer on Substack. You would be great. People, you already have this mailing list. People subscribe. You'd be a great customer. So we were trying to convince him, convince him, convince him. And then at some point, I think between when we first talked to him, he joined Andreessen Horowitz as a general partner. And so he, and then he kind of sort of like called us up one day and was like, Hey, do you want to come and talk? And we were like, about you being on Substack? He's like, well, not exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, that is a great story. So good. And we were sort of like, yeah, we're not fundraising. You know, we've got our things in mind. He's like, well, you know, you want to come have dinner with this and this? And we're like, okay, let's, we'll, we'll go to that. That sounds good. Okay. Okay. Nice. Awesome. And, and so, okay. YC ends. Wow. What a crazy few months. How do you go about like the months after YC? Like you, you know, I think one of the challenges that everyone talks about on Bookface is like, how do you keep up the momentum, the the focus, uh, especially, I mean, you, you both have huge companies now, like ha just how, how have you been able, or how did you think about that? Like post YC to just try and keep the forcing function alive. Adam, do you want to, do you want to start and then love to hear what you think, Chris? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it is, it is hard because during those three months of YC, you have that person looking over your shoulder, right? If you go into your, you know, group partner meeting and you haven't done what you said you were going to do, you know, you don't get yelled at, but, you know, they're disappointed uh, and you can tell they're disappointed. And so you don't have that anymore, right? You don't have that weekly kind of, you know, teacher kind of telling you, have you done your homework? And so you have to do it yourself. Um, and... It's good because it kind of teaches you discipline for three months and it, there's that muscle memory of, hey, okay, we're going to set this goal for this week. We're going to achieve it. Have we achieved it? If yes, well, let's have a more ambitious goal next week. If not, why not? And, and, and readjust. Um, and I think as long as you keep doing that week to week, that's how you build a big business, right? You know, if you try and, you know, look 
six months, 12 months, you know, a year in advance too much, you know, you, you, you're just not going to get there. Obviously, you still need to plan long term. Um, but really, in those early days, week to week matters, right? Getting those extra customers, going from two customers to four, from four to eight, that's what really matters. You know, you shouldn't be looking at, okay, how do I get a thousand customers? Because getting a thousand customers, one, you know, hundred to a thousand customers is very, very different from going from, you know, one to eight. Um, and they talk about a, a lot about this in YC, right? There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't scale because you can, you know, get on a phone call and, and get a customer, you know, um, on a weekend, but you can't do that when you're going from 999 to a thousand customers. It just, it just doesn't work. Um, and so YC really gives us the discipline to be able to continue the things that they teach you, um, uh, just keep doing it. And then we've, we've been doing it, you know, uh, for the two, three years ever since, and it's worked out really well. Great discipline. I, I remember we tried to um, create demo days every quarter. We were like, we'll just keep this up. We'll just do a demo day for ourselves, and we'll bring our seed investors. And we actually did it for about a year and we brought like seed investors to our office and we're like, this is demo day. We are the only company presenting. <laughs> and then we stopped doing that. Um, but some, some type of forcing function to have the discipline is key. Like, what were you doing, Chris? And did you do anything that you were like, mm, that wasn't good? <laughs> I'll tell you two things that we did that I, that I, well, I'll tell you a couple of things that we did that we do keep up and I think we're good. Um, one of them was you were, you talking about the tension between kind of having like long-term plans where you're like, how are we going to get, you know, you've got 10 customers and you're like, how are we going to get a hundred thousand customers? And you sort of waste your time on future things. I think there's another mistake you can make in that phase when you're sort of like your time horizon expands beyond three months and you're sort of looking at how do we get to the next phase of the company, which is you want to have a, a, a week to week close feedback loop cadence where you're holding yourself accountable. But if you, if you're, if you don't look beyond the week, if you just say, look, we just have to like do whatever it takes next week, you end up on a little bit of a random walk, right? You end up with your, the thing that you're sort of incrementally working towards is undirected. And I actually think, I think maybe sometimes that works, but I think normally that's maybe a problem at that phase. And so the approach that we've always taken is to sort of have a science fiction vision, right? We, we always wanted to be able to paint a picture for ourselves of a year from now, where are we going to be? And we're not like planning out every detail of it. We're kind of like, what's the, what's the product going to look like in a year? What is it going to feel like? Who's going to be using it? Like, where are we trying to get to? Like, write the sort of the press story and the, you know, I, I would literally do science fiction visions. I'd like do like mock-ups of things we were going to have and ways it was going to be and have that be kind of like the North star that you want to pull towards. And then once you have that, you want to have a one week plan or a one month plan or whatever that short term thing is. And you're just like, I have a concrete set of things I need to do. And I can ask like, did I do them? And I can ask if I do them, is it getting me at least a little bit towards the sci-fi vision? You don't have to have the whole road mapped from where you are to the sci-fi vision. You're not like every step of that, like what am I gonna do when I get to 10 months from now and I need blah, blah, blah. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to know about that. You just have to know where you're going and you have to know what the next step is. And then the other thing that I think you were saying that the, there was this discipline that came from YC. I think when they do that well, the thing those partners are really doing is just holding up the mirror to you. They know that they're not the authority. They're not the like, you know, the teacher that, that chides you to do your homework. Right. Founders are self-appointed. We're the people that have to like this has to come from ourselves. We're the people that have to like put the pressure on ourselves. And the when the YC process works, I think what they're doing is they're just like making you take a hard look in the mirror and saying, like, here's what you said you were gonna do. Here's what you did. What do you think of that? And so I think after YC, the trick is to find your own ways to look in the mirror. Yeah, I, I I love what you mentioned around the sci-fi vision. I uh, recall like Paul Bukite had a session where he's like, all right, tell me about the future and what role your company is going to play in it. Like paint the vision of the future for me. And I think that like mind expanding exercise is incredibly motivating to prove to yourself like how big the company can be and like what technological evolutions are going to happen. It's It's kind of a energizing exercise and then being able to work back is, is just 
great advice. You know, I, I'm now an early stage investor on the seed side. We're, we're leading seed rounds and I'm constantly trying to think about how do we get that YC accountability? And so we do have these like lunchtime demos every week in our Discord where people can show up and like show what they've been working on. You know, I, I'm hopefully I'm not too mean of a teacher being like, hmm, well, I'm not, I'm just a little disappointed that you didn't hit your milestones. But I, I do think that's a good thing to look for in, in partners you want to work with, right? And in, investors is like, hey, I'm going to be real with you and honest that you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I'll tell you one more thing that I, that I picked up in that time that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it is I started sending a monthly investor update email to those early YC investors that I still send to this day. I'm going to send one today. Uh, it's going to be the same one. I, I uh, yeah, I love that. We I was so sort of on it with our monthly email as well. And it's such a good, like, yeah, again, back to the whole forcing function. Adam, anything you you do, still do around that? Yeah, we still do um, monthly quarterly updates. Um, you know, we've only just uh, created a board. Um, and so the last few kind of months have been, uh, you know, whatever we present to the board then gets sent out to uh, the rest of the investors. Um, they provide their feedback. You know, some stuff is, is, is golden, some stuff you, you know, decide not to listen to. Um, but you get a variety of opinions. Um, you know, our investor list now, you know, we've kind of raised our series A. Um, you know, we have uh, investors from many different disciplines, AI, open source, um, etc. And so... Uh, the job now is to take all of that feedback and all that advice and distill, okay, well, what is valuable? Uh, what should we act upon and, and what should we not act upon? Um, and, uh, you know, YC, you kind of have you know, this one person kind of, you know, giving you advice. And I think, uh, as Chris mentioned, it's more about holding, you know, holding yourself accountable and, and uh, holding up a mirror. Um, once you kind of have all of these investors and they've all got very diverse opinions, um, and back to Chris's point where, you know, you don't want to build your product for an investor, um, but you also have to admit that a lot of these investors, uh, and if you select them correctly, uh, have, have been operators, have been founders themselves. And so they've been through a lot of this stuff before. Um, and so when they provide advice, uh, you know, it's also good to understand, well, you know, where is that advice coming from? Is it because you've, you know, founded five companies before, um, or have you only ever been an investor? And you can certainly weigh advice based on, on that. And that's kind of how we... Um, you know, how we, uh, how we operate on a kind of monthly and quarterly basis. Awesome. Okay. Just a couple more questions. Now we're coming up to coming up to time. Chris, you have an investor email to send, but so series a milestones. So, you know, you raise seed, any kind of like thoughts on, I guess, Adam, it's pretty fresh for you because you guys have raised relatively recently um, your series a, I would love to know just quick advice. Like how, how do you think about that? milestone because it, it does feel it's very different from the early kind of scrappier days where you're like okay first customer first sub subscription revenue to here 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 like how does the narrative evolve or like can you really can you really raise a series a right now in this environment without having you know the the product standing up be curious to get your take yeah i i think for us um the, the one of the pieces of advice, you know, when you, when you start to fundraise, you ask people, okay, how do you do it? Like, what's, what's the, what, you know, what's the secret to fundraising? You know, how, how do you, how do you start? And they say, well, warm introductions, right? Warm introductions is the best way to do it, right? The best way to get, to, to get the investors you want to get. But when you're, you know, very fresh and, and especially new, like we were to the Bay, you don't know anybody. And so cold emails, you know, is, you know, cold phone calls, you know, bumping into people, that's kind of how you get those, those first in, you know, first checks. Um, but when you get to, you know, Series A, if you've selected your investors at the earlier stages, well, you know, if you want to speak to someone from A16Z benchmark, etc., uh, often your investors already know somebody. And it makes the world of difference um, because you're no longer having to send, you know, 100 cold emails to investors uh, you're getting that warm introduction and you're already kind of that, that, that stage ahead. I think it's a little bit different for us being open source because we're often judged on our open source metrics. The current environment, uh, you know, it has certainly cooled down. It's not the, 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 the peak and the froth that it was, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and so it is much harder to raise a series A. It's not quite as hard, you know, as, as raising like a D or an E. Those markets really have, uh, you know, have come, come off from their peaks. Um, but yeah, it's very, very tough. If you, you know, back in that, that peak period, you know, as long as you had some, you know, reasonable growth metrics, revenue wasn't that important. But now, um, you know, the first question that everybody asks is, is, you know, what are the, what's the ARR, what's the growth rate of the ARR and, and, 
it's much more difficult. And, and Chris, what about for you? I guess you guys have raised sort of close to or over $90 million now. Like how, how do you think about the, the, those different milestones from series A onwards? I think I'm probably a bad, if I'm honest, I'm a bad person to take advice from on this. And I think this is maybe, this is one of the things you have to like develop an eye for in these situations where it's like, everybody wants to give you advice and everybody has their own experience, but what's germane and what should you actually do? It's so individualized. The thing that we did, which is not the thing that I'm, I'm, I think is always the solution is we just focused on building the thing that we thought was going to matter. And we had from pretty early days, a business model that, that, that did make money. Like there, it wasn't, we, 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 we didn't have sort of the underpants gnome theory of monetization, which I, I felt like I had in my last company where it's kind of like, we'll get a lot of people to use it. Question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. With Substack, we were very much like, look, we want to have this, the, the incentive model being aligned as part of the thing. We want to make this money. Um, that's not as, that's not as slight that you're, open source strategy. I think that's actually good, but I, I, I lived this a little bit at my last company with uh, making a, making a messaging app. And so we were always in a position where we were like, we don't need to raise money. We're in a position where we are default alive, where we can have, you know, we have a chart to, we have a way to chart our own course uh, that doesn't go through a fundraise. And so we're not in a position where we're like, oh, we'd better, you know, we have to raise by this date to do this thing. We're always in a position where we're like, we want to be, we want to be able to, to pursue our own destiny on our own terms. And then if we can get in a situation where we can get someone else to believe in this story that we're working on as much as we do, and they want to give us money to speed it up, we'll do that. And we'll do that kind of opportunistically and we'll figure out the right way to do it. And in our case, we sort of like, you know, had strong partners that kind of we knew and got lucky in certain ways. Um, but that's sort of the the approach that we always took. I was never working backwards from the fundraise. I was always kind of working forwards from what the business needs to be and then being, you know, a little bit op opportunistic. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you. This has been a phenomenal trip down memory lane, recounting, you know, the the, the early days of, of YC and both of your experiences. So thank you for, for being here and imparting some of your wisdom. Anything exciting that you're working on now that you want to mention? I know, uh, Chris, we're going to have to use Substack to put, to, to generate transcript from this episode. Oh, yeah. So we can put it on the Patreon pub, um, Substack. You should be using Substack for your whole podcast. Well, you know what? Next episode, we will. <laughs> we're going to have Beautiful. a whole show. So it's going to be really good. Oh, epic. Okay, awesome. Um, it's already and, pretty good, but it's going to be really good. Oh, it's going to be really, really good. Okay, well, great. We're, we're, we're excited. Um, Adam, thank you as well. Uh, very, very, very exciting times for mine, Stevie.